Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Hulk a hope, Mr. Chris, what's up? What up, rapper Steve? So, um, just when I thought it couldn't get any unashameder, <laughs> then we have someone like Maddie or jump on the podcast yeah. with us. Who is a her? I thought that was quite clever, so I hope people cut that. Um, and so, uh, just awesome. Nineteen year old started a podcast. Um, in the show notes, the whole thing and. Um, what I just want to say is just the power of reaching out. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Man of many words here. Always. So um, I hope you join us in this episode with Maddie about her journey of reaching out, starting the podcast. Um, she used the word warrior to describe her true self, her inner self, which we know we jam with. And so whether it's boot camp or something else, we love to help people get to resources. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. So if you are in need help, um, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships and apply for a scholarship there. And if you want to join our movement and become an outsider or outsiders or those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed, um, you can donate and help us make those scholarships happen and join us in listening to the bonus content with Maddie, um, which we have an extra special guest on which we'll leave as a surprise. So join us um, for that bonus content. An old friend coming back. So I'll put that. But, um, and so you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate um, and donate there to become an outsider and join us in that bonus content. Uh, give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world finds us and we can continue to spread this message of hope and find us on social media at unashamedunafraid. And so with that, we'll get in the studio with Maddie. Maddie, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm just doing great. So you wanted to start this conversation with something unpodcast related. Yeah. So I have all your old podcast equipment. Did you know that? Yay. <laughs> yeah. No. Because it was it was from Ashley. It was from Ashley. And so I told her, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. And she just showed up with this big box. And so just so you guys know, that's where it She's is She's like, now. matter of fact, I've got all this cool equipment. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. <laughs> So that should be very special equipment because that's what changed the audio for all of us. Or I guess it's for everybody that listens. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, and uh, a, a lot of a lot of sacred stories have gone into those microphones. And that's cool. Legacy, what up? And Ashley's sitting back here with her husband, Parker. What up? Um, here supporting Maddie. So that's awesome. So what I heard is that... Um, we're going to have an opportunity to go record an episode on uh, our old microphones. That's what I heard. Sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so, um, <laughs> so Maddie, uh, paint us into context is, uh, why are you here? <laughs> That's a good question. Like, we're happy you're here, <laughs> but like, what led you to being on this podcast with us? Yeah. Um, do you want me to start from like the beginning, beginning or why I'm like, I've started talking about it. Why have you started talking about it? Okay. So, Basically, so starting in June 2022, I started getting these promptings and it was like very specific. It was, you have some kind of work to do in helping young girls who are struggling with pornography. 
And um, at first I was, I kind of like back talked to Heavenly Father and because I was, I'm going into like my freshman year of college and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can like take that on. That seems like a lot. Go find someone else. Um, God, you don't know what you're doing. Come <laughs> exactly, on. <laughs> exactly. But I, it, they just kept coming. They just kept coming. And I was like, okay, hey, I really should do something um, about this. And me being me, I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and, um, I went and met with like some, some English professors and their general consensus. Cause I was like, at that point I was planning on leaving on a mission in June and their general consensus was like, so actually you can't write a book in six months. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, you and so watch me and wrote it. That's exactly what I did. So I went to, well, I haven't written a book, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go find someone who will tell me that I can. And so I went and met with um, some entrepreneurship, this entrepreneurship professor who is amazing. And it was funny to see like the difference in their questions, like the English professors versus the entrepreneurship professors, because the English professors just like have this strict, like, oh, it's 400 pages, has to be gone through a publisher or whatever. And then the entrepreneurship professor was like, was like, okay, like, who do I need to connect you with? Like, when can we get started? And it was just cool. And so, um, even though, so I decided not to go the book route because I was kind of thinking of like, what is, what is some young girl like going to be looking for? Like I know at 13, I wouldn't have asked my parents to buy a book on this. Could you drive me to Barnes and Noble? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. To peruse, just (laughs) you wait in the car while I look through some. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I was like, James is like, isn't that what kids still do nowadays? (laughs) I was like, I used to do that. Yeah, exactly. Chris is like, yeah, isn't that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm in the self-help section. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is old. Anyways. So, (laughs) so anyway so I yeah I decided against the book but I was like I kind of want something that's more like accessible um that maybe like a bishop or a leader or a parent could just send to their their um kid um and so I I just started like going on podcast and sharing my story and that kind of like took off and it was just super cool because God just opened so many doors for me um, and it was just a huge testament to me that like this is not at all like a Maddie Davis work it is absolutely a God work. And so um, anyway, then there was one night and like, you know, like the late night shower thought inspiration. Yes. So, yeah. So I'm like, I'm like having those, those revelatory thoughts. And I was like, I was like thinking about how helpful like going on all these podcasts have been for me just to connect with someone every single day. Like it's just been helpful for me like on my recovery journey. Um, and I was like, man, I, I want to like provide that opportunity for more young girls. Um, I should start a podcast. And it's like one in the morning. I like burst into my room and I'm like telling my roommate, I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> and she's like, Okay. <laughs> but, Go back to bed. Exactly. But it was like, a, like I could not sleep that night because I was so excited. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, that, that's just kind of taking off from there. But that's kind of why, I guess that's more of like the technical side of why why I'm here. But, awesome. Yeah. So what's the non-technical reason why you're here? Okay, non-technical. So um, I found pornography at 13. And... Um, I just remember like finding it and having a lot of like mixed feelings. Like it was, it was kind of a little bit like 
overwhelming. It was a little scary. And I think that people don't like to talk about this side of it, but like it was like new and exciting. Um, and like people don't like to talk about the side of like pornography that is actually like, like, like we all, we all just talk about like the negative effects of pornography when we're talking about it. But like there's a reason why people view it. That's why we all keep going back to it. Exactly. And so... So yeah, I found it and I remember, so I was raised in the LDS church um, and I remember like hearing in young women's lessons, like, hey, here's our lesson on pornography. We know that you guys don't struggle with it, um, but just listen. <laughs> Everyone's like. <laughs> if, you're, if you are talking in any setting to anyone about pornography, don't say, I know none of you have this problem. Because then the people in the audience who have the problem feel very othered and shamed. Yep. Yeah. And that's, yeah, they kind of just said like, but you know, like, listen, um, cause this will probably come up in like dating or like your future spouse. And I was like, my future spouse, like, what about me? Um, like this is something that I'm struggling with. And so I just felt super alone and like pornography in and of itself, very isolating, like, like literally physically isolating. And like, you have to isolate your thoughts mentally. Um, and then, so it just kind of added to that shame. Um, and I've always kind of felt like there was an extra layer of shame um, specifically for women because not that it's like, not that it's normal for, or like quote unquote normal for boys, but it is definitely more common to hear about that for boys. And so, um, and so I just, I, there weren't resources available. And I actually remember, and I think I did this, like re-experimented with this like a couple months ago. But if you look up LDS woman struggling with pornography, you have to go to like the second page to actually like find anything because the first page is just filled with what to do if your husband is struggling with pornography. Mm -hmm. And so even just doing those, those searches, like it was just kind of a confirmation to me and like gave Satan a lot of power to say, yeah, you are completely alone and you should never tell anyone about this. Um, and so, yeah. For sure. So. And what, what's crazy is that Satan does not care what, whether you're a woman or a man, doesn't matter. Yeah. He just wants you to look at it because exactly. he knows what it does to destroy your heart. Exactly. Well, and I want to name, in case people miss the freshman college thing, how old are you today? 19. So it's 2023 and you're 19. So 13, we're talking, someone do the math for it, 2014. Six years ago. Oh, so, so 2017, right? So we're not, so this isn't a story. Um, you know, we've had this come up in other episodes. Like this is in the here and now. Yeah. So we're not like, to like, hey, 40 years ago, we were all really out of touch with the dialogue around porn and men. And we're like, this is, this is literally today right now. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's also crazy is that when you were just talking about how your young women's leaders were talking to you about, oh, well, you just didn't have this. I believe both Ashley and Cassie both said the exact same thing, that their yeah. leaders said the same thing when yeah. they were talk, having the talk about pornography. They're like, I know you guys don't deal with this. And yeah. they're both sitting in the back going, oh, my gosh, you had no idea yeah. what I'm doing. It's true. And, I mean, honestly, like, I I don't fault them like I'm not holding any grudge against them because I think that it just did come like it's just it's just this like multi-generational like just there's so much shame about like talking about sex in general like it's such a forbidden topic and so I I genuinely think that they or like would like to think that they didn't have any bad intentions with it but 
Well, and I'm curious about just what the narrative was for you around sexuality, because I think, I think in my opinion, we talked about this back on Cassie's episode, um, where that, like the, the thought of this really landed with me. So I want to check it out with you. So for men, like I've, there's a clear dialogue for us of like, be alpha male. And we even do this in church, just do it church style. Right. So like I knew the narrative for me was very clear, like just make no mistakes, be totally perfect so don't do the sex thing. Don't drink. Don't do anything wrong. You know, don't be dishonest ever. Don't like, don't do any of the, there, here's kind of like the 10 things. Don't ever do those mm-hmm. and just be independently wealthy by the time you're 50 and be a mission president. And then you will have arrived. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the narrative around sex being like, you're an animal, just contain this and point this in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I feel like, and particularly in church culture, culture and, and I just, you can tell me your experience, right? Cause I'm not a woman. Um, but I feel like there's this narrative of like, be completely pure, wholesome, wear a turtleneck, but also like you need to be really pretty object, but like, don't be sexual at all. Cause then you're a whore. <laughs> so so like be super, super modest. And like, it's really important that you're super hot, but like in a super <laughs> modest way. And mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, the the affirming laughter, I'm assuming that's similar. So tell me how, like, so then what did you do with like, I'm looking at porn, but this is my narrative around sex. So like, mm-hmm. what was going on for you at, you know, as you're in high school going on dates and you're, and, and you maybe like a boy as you're going into all, like, so what was the narrative for you? Cause yeah. for me, it was like a hundred percent. I want to do this. Everyone's saying like, well, of course we know you shouldn't wink. Cause yeah. we totally know that's how it goes for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, don't do it, do it in the dark. So I just, I'm curious what that was like for you. Cause it seems like a different experience. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like different experience um and actually it was interesting because I was talking to my dad kind of about this like a while ago um and we were talking about like like there's such a it's such a harmful like purity culture I guess in the church of like yes like stay super pure and then when you get married like you just have to be this like animal or whatever and and it's like you you have two options either you you get married like if you're saving yourself until marriage you get you get married and then you're like going to have sex and you either like you don't know anything. And so you're just going to suffer for like the next four years. And like, cause you don't want to like, you don't want your husband to think that you, you know stuff about this. Cause like, that's gross. Um, or you do know things and it's like, Oh, like, like maybe my husband will look at me, look at me and be like, Oh, like, how do you know that? And like, it's such a, like, that's what it felt like for me. And so, I mean, obviously, like, I'm not, like, married or anything, but, like, that's what it felt like. And so, like, kind of having, it felt like kind of a double life, um, like, viewing viewing pornography. Like, that just felt completely separate from my life. And so, I think, therefore, that kind of separated everything about sexuality. Um, and it, it was just kind of this thing of, like, sex equals fear and sex equals bad because because porn is bad. Um, and so it's been kind of like, it's, it's been this healing process and I'm totally still right in the midst of it of like, okay, how can I actually like integrate that as a part of myself um, without having like the pornography, but still acknowledging that part of myself. Cause it's so like, it's God given, you know, and it's something that he wants us to. So take me to use. like a date in high school. What's <laughs> going on in your mind? So is this like, 
boys are are terrible and mm. I know, you know, I've seen how men really are in my porn education and I'm there. Or is it like, no, I just hope they don't discover this about me or this side of me or like what was... No, because kind of like, like I said, it was kind of like a double life. And I think I kind of did separate like the, the dating um, and then like the pornography. Um, and like people that I had like dated and people that just like some of my close like guy friends had opened up to me like about there. I actually never really opened up to them except for one um, about like my pornography use. Um but yeah, that's I'm pretty of, sure they know now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone who has any association with me knows now. But um, yeah, I guess that's kind of the the dating narrative. Yeah. Uh, Chris, do you know anything about having a dual life? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that, um, I, I mean, I think that's, that's cool to hear you point that out, you know, in your story of like separating that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I guess my follow up question would be to, uh, like, so how did that affect you? Mm -hmm. Like separating yourself like that? What were the results in your life? Yeah. Um, I think like it, like my reliance on it grew more and more. And so, um, it would kind of like, like, my my days and my life would kind of like revolve around that um around like when am I gonna view pornography and like what am I gonna like see this time um and yeah I think it it kind of forced me to kind of like push away my my friends and my family at times like um if I just wasn't feeling great about myself or wasn't feeling like was feeling pretty like like shameful um I wouldn't want to I knew that I would have to kind of like face that head on if I was like with someone else. So I didn't want to have to do that. Yeah. So um, when do you feel like you were able to really start recovery? Mm. Honestly, when I started talking to people about it was the absolute biggest thing. So what made you start talking to them? Start, yeah. Start talking to them. Yeah. So I guess, okay, we can kind of jump back into... Uh, my story. So, so I was 13 and then I went and talked to the bishop or, you know, my religious leader at, at yeah. pastor. Um, yep. Yeah. At, I think 14 or 15. And I, there wasn't like one thing that like sparked it. Like there wasn't some quote or anything that just like, I think I just, I don't know. I like, I, I just sent, I remember sending a text to him. Um, like it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night and like the, <laughs> the days leading up to Sunday were like the most stressful days of my life. Um, but there was one thing that actually did, um, help me to like finally get help. Just hold up. So I just want to make sure no one's missing this as a 14 year old girl looking at porn. You're like, I'm going to go tell my Bishop pastor, adult man that I'm having this struggle. That takes some ovaries <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Big yeah. ovaries. Yeah, it's true. It. I'm just saying as a 14-year-old boy, <laughs> I would not in a million effing years mm -hmm. would I have done that, nor did I. 
Yeah. I so how did you find that type of girl? I'm just like, this is mind blowing. <laughs> so I just like, I just don't want to be like, oh, by the way, like I, and I flew, you know, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. Like, we're like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So like, how, what was it like? Was it just like raw courage and just like what, what happened inside you that you're like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go tell my church leader. Um, I think like, I knew that I had these like overarching goals in life and I knew that I wanted to like regularly attend the temple and like have good, better relationships with my family. And I had seen how the gospel had like benefited that before. And I, I definitely did not have a testimony of the atonement before I went through that process. Um, and I also, I knew my bishop and I didn't know what his response would be, but I knew that he was like a nice guy. And like, you're right. Like, honestly, I don't have a solid answer for you. Cause like looking back, yeah, that situation, 14 year old me going to talk to like an old man about that sounds kind of scary. Um, but there is this, um, text and I would like to like claim that this is exactly what, like I heard that. And I was like, I'm setting up a meeting with my bishop, but I don't think I realized the weight of how, how impactful this text was until, um, like recently, like going back and revisiting. But so my dad, we were talking in the car one night and somehow pornography came up. Um, and he told me, and I have his permission, my dad's and my brother's to share this. Um, but my brother had been struggling with pornography, um, for quite a while. And he, so this is a different Bishop, not the one that I met with. And, he did not handle it very well. Um, but my brother was struggling with pornography and he had like been clean or whatever you want to call it. Um, yes. Um, and hadn't viewed pornography for a while. And then he slipped up. And at that point, like he, he wasn't able to take the sacrament for three months. And then once he slipped up, he wasn't able to take the sacrament for six months, which looking back is like, Oh my gosh, like, Crazy if you're squirming me. in your chair, <laughs> we're with you. But. I know. And so um, he just kind of comes to my dad and he's like so like beaten down and, and broken and like, like I'm just, what is even the point anymore? Like I'm, I'm just going to give up and um, it's not like worth fighting anymore. Um, and so my dad, like, you know, seeing his son in e- anguish, I'm sure wanted to just kind of take some of that, like just say it's okay to like step away from the fight for a little bit. Um, but then he, he wrote this text to him and I just think it has so many good principles in it that apply to like so much more, like not just pornography, but just life. And it's been like, it's like scripture to me. Um, so yeah, this, uh, this is a text from my dad to my brother. It says, there's only war. There's no peace. There's only war. I believe in serenity, stillness, civility, and tranquility but not peace. Peace, when defined as the absence of conflict or war, is a myth, an imposter, a lie. It is a false god we've been taught to worship by pansies and evildoers. There is only war. I believe in winning, but not victory. There is no ultimate or final victory, at least not in this life. And candidly, the, the next life seems less attractive if the concept of a final victory exists but I'll leave that to a much wiser general than me. My heaven is Valhalla. There is only war. But how can there only be war? What about surrender? There is no peace through surrender. 
Surrender is simply one's decision to declare war on themselves. The war continues after surrender. It gets more costly, futile, and painful. There is only war. I want to celebrate winning with you and honor every day of your fight. I want to be yoked together in this war. Whether you've won or lost, any particular battle on any particular day doesn't matter to me at all. I want us to be fueled by the brotherhood that comes from going to war together. I want to be bloodied, exhausted, humbled, and yet undeterred from the path, the war path. There is only war. Would you agree to text me first thing when you wake up and last thing before you go to bed to tell me whether you're winning or losing? Please don't ever hesitate if slash when the text is, I'm losing. That text is the one that matters most because it means we are still in the fight. There is no peace. There is only war. Love the war. I love being in it with you. And we would drop the mic at this point, <laughs> except they're attached to our mic stands. <laughs> and so, that is just so awesome. And your dad's coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, but tell right? us how that. What, tell us about the impact for you. Yeah. So I mean, like. Again, I would love to claim that this was super impactful for me at 13 or or 14 or 15, but I just don't know if I fully understood it at that point. But um, looking back, there is actually one specific thing that I want to share in there that I want to clarify because we had a conversation about this um, and he wants me to clarify it when I share it. Um, But he talks about surrender and how there's no peace through surrender. And I want to kind of define what that means. We're talking about the the surrender of, of like just giving up completely in the fight and I fully believe in surrendering to God and so just so you guys know that it's not what what it's talking about well I guess I'm I'm gonna uh challenge your dad's clarification we actually agree with him with that statement totally 100% people are like did he go to a boot camp (laughs) <laughs> and we're like, no, he hasn't. But if or if he hasn't, he should be. He, he's going <laughs> he's, now. So he's yeah. coming. <laughs> I'll let him know. Hey, what's up? Come to the party. You're already on the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> you coming to boot camp, Parker? Let's boot camp. <laughs> it's done. Parker back here is coming too. So, um, uh, but why that was impactful for you? I mean, this the side note of that, we can talk more in the bonus or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, anyone who chooses discipleship, in Christ in this life. I mean, we can just go to the Sermon on the Mount. Like it's a war. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love it because I think a lot of times we have these expectations for ourselves in, in like our struggles with pornography or just in life in general. And I'm going to say, especially in the Utah slash Utah County LDS culture, sorry, but we have these expectations of like this perfect life and this like, like white picket fence, everything is going to be perfect. We're going to have this picture perfect family. And like, that is just never going to happen. And like, I just don't think that that is, and, and I love how he talks about like, the next life seems less attractive if the concept of a final victory exists. And that's something that I've thought a lot about of like, like, how do we, how do we progress? Because like personally in this life, I've gotten really good at failing at things. And like, if, yeah, if there's one thing that I'm good at, it's, it's failing, but it's also learning from those things. Um, and so I think that, I don't know, I, I just, I love that about it. And I love that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's like I was I was reading, I think it's in Atomic Habits, but it talks about like life is just a series of extenuating circumstances. I think that's so true um, because I think that we strive for that like ultimate perfection, but that is never, ever going to happen in this life. So I think we need to stop 
living as if it will. And I don't think that that's like a depressing message. I think that's actually a very hopeful message. Yeah, to remove those expectations for sure because they're unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's never going to happen. And I totally agree with you that that's where shame wins Mm -hmm. because it's like unless you meet this standard, you should feel totally ashamed about yourself. And to your point, Chris, with the adversary, well, he knows you're never going to meet that standard. So you just believing in that standard, he's won, right? Mm -hmm. 100% agree with you. So uh, what I want to know is, so then what have you learned from your failures, Mm. Maddie? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about my failures, like with pornography. So actually, um, when when Chris and I initially called for the Unashamed Unafraid podcast, I can't remember exactly what question you asked, but it got me to a situation where I had to, it was like the first time I had told someone, but I had actually like relapsed or like viewed pornography like three months before. And at that time I had like started up my like Instagram and whatever, and like started like preaching or whatever about this stuff. Um, And that was a really big lesson for me because like it actually taught me that like there is a lot of strength from just being able to like speak exactly where where you are um and I actually so I had like my 14 year old sister come and talk on my podcast the other day it was so cool um but she I was like she she had only been like a month or whatever like sober and I was like dang girl like you got guts and like it's just so cool because I think we like like we really want to be able to talk about these things like 14 years down the line or whatever um but I think that there's so much strength that comes from just speaking from it right there and so the major lesson from that is like there is still strength like even if especially when you are struggling and then also just that like relapses don't start you back at square one if you don't let them um if you choose to like like take it and look at it super analytically and say okay like where was I right then like what was I doing what was I doing an hour before that um like what what was going on in my life that was like forcing me to um put myself in a position where I wanted to like view pornography and so yeah, I would say that's that's what I've learned from one of my failures. <laughs> so, Steve, how much sobriety did you have when you started this podcast? <laughs> well, um, I think as uh, many of our listeners know and Maddie knows, um, I started it intentionally not sober. Exactly. I love for, it. For the very reason that you're saying. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and it's been interesting, uh, even in my work as a counselor, um, Cause I, I asked one of my mentors, I'm like, do I need to have like five years of sobriety before I start counseling people? And, um, and he's like, no, like you have the capacity to help people. So do, um, and I've had, uh, many experiences in, uh, my life as a therapist where I have clients who are unashamed, you know, know my story from unashamed or whatever, who know for a fact, they're actually more sober than I am but don't care because they really want the help and the hope. And I, and I think that's, it's not a like, whatever, let's all act out because it doesn't matter, grace and Jesus thing. It's an accepting of the war we're in and where we're at. And I think you're pointing to the power, the power of community, like to be in community now, not wait until you have the white picket, white picket fence mm-hmm. and, and 10 years of sobriety to then kind of step in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which I think that uh, brings me to the, real question I've just wanted to ask you this whole time 
so we talked about the beginning of the episode of um, I'm here because this and having the old audio equipment and all of that. And I know, right, like you've met Chris and know Ashley. And so there's some connection to us as a group and you're podcasting, we're podcasting. So we're like, it's not friends, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, we like podcast friends, right? Yeah. And, um, and so getting some nods from everybody here. But what I want to know is like really from the heart space, man, like why are you really here? Um, like, like 19, you said? Mm-hmm. Like you're a 19-year-old girl college, the stuff going on, like life, dating, friends, all the things, your whole future in front of you and all the decisions you make right now is totally going to shape. Like all of that's life's going on. What you're choosing to do on this weeknight, taking extra time to be here late is to go on a podcast and talk about like pornography, sexual addiction recovery. Mm -hmm. So like, what is it in you in this heart space that has really brought you here? Because you even told me that you talked to your professors about this and you said, I really want to do this. And they're like, yeah, you need to go and do this. Like, so you could ease the schoolwork or I don't remember the whole conversation, but mm-hmm. something along those lines to where you're like, I'm not doing school as much because I really want to focus on bringing this word to other people. So, yeah. Why? So, yeah. So I did, I'm just taking, I'm taking like seven credits right now. So it's like a half credit schedule, but it's so that I can focus on um, this stuff and just like doing podcasts and getting my account open running. But, um, but I guess like my my ultimate why, it's actually good that you asked because um, I've been meaning to like, I actually on the drive here, I like, I've been meaning to write down my why. Um, and so I, I kind of just made a recording and it was like way shorter than I thought it was. But it's just because um, I know for a fact that there are so many young girls out there that are in my exact position that I was in like six or five or six years ago um, that feel like they are just absolutely disgusting and feel like they're completely alone and don't feel like there is any hope and um, feel like they like I literally felt like I was out of reach of the atonement and um, they just feel like they're the exception in that matter and so yeah simply put that's that's why I'm here because that it just that seems on the eternal perspective that seems a lot more important to me than anything else that I could be doing <laughs> and, and if and if you could um, convince those girls of something what is it that you would want them to know mm. um, that you are absolutely not out of reach of the atonement and um, there is so much good waiting for me, for you. Um, and and God will do something unimaginable, like seriously unimaginable. Um, and also just that you are absolutely not alone. Like I am not the only person. Like it's not just you and me. It's like you and me. And I promise like millions and millions of other girls who are going through this and there is help and it is, it is possible. And so I just, there's so much hope. And I feel like a lot of times, um, we look at the gospel and we look at God as some, someone who's just looking to punish and to enforce all of his commandments. Um, but there's so much more hope. I think that he, I think that he kind of looks at us and he's like, you guys, like, (laughs) you don't even know, (laughs) like, like, we should be like just rejoicing about this. Um, and so, yeah, just to, 
to those young girls, like you are absolutely not alone and, and God is reaching out to you and he has his hand outstretched to you at all times. So, um, and, uh, every, every 14 year old girl is worthy of that message. Yes. (laughs) Every 14, every eight year old girl, every regardless. So every 50 year year old woman, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I know a 14 year old girl who didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> no one told her. Mm-hmm. When she went and Googled it, there wasn't even anything until the second page. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of why, because cause, um, I know how that feels. Yeah. yeah. So, Jerry, if you can grab that chair for us. Just put it right there. Go ahead and turn it for us. Turn it right there to our friend. So, if we had 14-year-old Maddie sitting in that chair right here, and you had the opportunity to bend time and space and give her the message she never got an opportunity to get, what would you tell her? And I'm going to invite you to tell her, not tell me. Um... I think I would just want to let myself know that like So tell her, talk to her You're seen And um, All of Seriously, everything that you're feeling um, Every single day that um, You feel like you can't even Get out of bed Because you feel like you're not worth it. Um, it's going to be worth it. I promise. And you're worth it right now. You just can't see it. Um, and what you can't see is. God has so much in store for you. And it's it's here right now. And it's absolutely accessible. And he's not there to condemn you. Um He's cheering you on, and you have angels cheering you on. Um, and your family loves you, and if you reach out to them, they're actually not going to hate you. <laughs> um, and change is possible, and change is awesome, and failure is also awesome. Um, and so those are things that you can learn from. And... Everything that you're going through right now is going to be turned into good. And I mean, I'd probably say either 1227, like your weaknesses are literally going to become your strengths. You just don't even know. So keep fighting because it's worth it. And what I see when I look at you is when you see her, your mind's eye, <sighs> she were sitting in that chair. Um, What do you see when you see her? I think it's really hard to see this at when you're right in the midst of a struggle. But like you're you are a warrior and and you have so much strength and there's so much going on, but it's nothing that you can't handle. 
It's absolutely nothing that you can't handle. And not just you alone. Don't do it alone because that's stupid. <laughs> do it do it with God because because it's nothing that he can't handle and and that Jesus Christ hasn't handled. He's already done it. And we've already won. Um and so I just a warrior. And has she like lost her beauty and is no. she tarnished? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, like I, I know that, that you're still figuring yourself out and trying to find yourself. And I would encourage you to be patient with that. And that's okay. And it's, it's more than okay to not know everything. There's actually not going to be a single point in your life where you know everything. Um, and uncertainty is a good thing. Um, and yeah, you absolutely haven't lost any of your, of your, of your beauty. And cause that just absolutely comes from within. So I think that's all true about her too. Yeah. And I'll second that. <laughs> Thanks. So Chris, if you could say anything to that 14-year-old girl, what would you say? You deserve God's love. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to keep checking boxes to get it. He just loves you. For who who you are right now. 100% for who you are. And he wants you. And he wants your heart. Because he knows everything about you. And he still loves you. No matter where you're at. Second. And if I could talk to that 14 year old girl. What I would tell her is that it's not her fault. It's not her fault. It wasn't a choice that she made. It's like putting a baby out in the middle of a monsoon, saying that it's its fault it got wet. And I would tell her that her beauty is not tarnished, her innocence not take, her innocence is not taken, and that she's not something to be consumed, but to be adored. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, Maddie, where can people find the podcast? <laughs> uh, so, the podcast is called Sisters on the Front Lines. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at Sisters on the Front Lines. So. Awesome. And as you know, when we have people come on and share their story, a song for you that has resonated with you that's been a big part of just speaks to your story in your heart. Hmm. This was probably more stressful than me actually like coming on and <laughs> doing this. I'm such a big music person, but uh, recently I have been loving the whole um, Lamb of God by Rob Gardner, um, but specifically the song Here is Hope, and I just love the lyrics of that song. So Awesome. So go check out the podcast, Sisters on the Front Lines. Um Give us five stars on iTunes and give Maddie five stars on iTunes because that is how the world populates and follows us and, and can do that. Um, follow us on social media at Unashamed and Afraid. Um, and if you are in need of help, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we do scholarships. So go to unashamedandafraid.com slash scholarships for resources about recovery and that can help. And if you'd like to join us in the bonus content with Maddie and become an outsider, those who help us with this movement, who are bold, accepted, and so unashamed, um, we invite you to donate at unashamedandafraid.com slash donate and help us fund those scholarships. So join us in the bonus content. And until we're with you again, we invite you to continue to be unashamed. And with that, we will leave you with 
Maddie's song, Here is Hope by Rob Gardner. He who healed our sorrows Here was bruised and broken He whose love no end knows Here was forsaken Left all alone Here despair cries born 